Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. In this episode, we're going to talk about CDT codes, codes for dental treatment. And these are codes designated for specific dental procedures that are completed by dental providers in the clinical setting. These CDT codes are a set of really specific procedure codes, starting with the letter D to denote dentistry, right? So this helps you know whether it's a dental code or a medical code. So that D that starts the code helps you identify that it's a dental code. During your time as a student, you learn all about proper documentation of each and every component of your clinical process. Your focus as a student, it's intentionally designed to help you become an expert in your clinical notes and understand proper documentation with your dental charting, medical histories, and all aspects of the clinical care and services or procedures that you provide your patients. CDT codes tend to be one of the final chapters of your learning journey in order to help you as the student connect the dots between accurate dental charting and comprehensive treatment records. Using CDT codes provides you as a dental clinician the opportunity to keep really detailed records of the procedures that you provide to your patients. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying. We use CDT codes in the dental office in order to communicate a very specific, systematized, and defined procedure code for each aspect of care in the dental records. And to those who pay for those procedures, whether that is the consumer or an insurance company. As a student, it's important for you to develop an understanding of dental insurance. And I'm talking just a basic understanding. Don't get stuck in the weeds. You want to understand how dental insurance relates to accurate records and how it impacts or contributes to patient care. Now, I will admit, when I graduated, I didn't even know about CDT codes or dental insurance for that matter. And I certainly didn't know how it related to my actions as a dental hygienist or some of the barriers that dental insurance or lack thereof created for my patients. I really didn't have a lens on it and I certainly did not have it on my radar when I was talking about treatment recommendations or talking about my process of care with patients. I really didn't understand how insurance worked, how it impacted the patient care, how it impacted my patient's health, and how it contributed to the patient's outcomes. 
my only understanding of dental insurance from when I became a clinician was from my own dental visits when I was a kid and the procedures that I had in the dental office. And I remember my parents talking about dental insurance and things like that, but I had no clue about dental insurance. I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know that it is possible to develop a really solid understanding of dental insurance. And I'm going to try to keep it really simple and straightforward for you because you definitely need to know more than I did when I became a dental hygienist. So that's my goal for you. When I first entered the field, I quickly discovered that the little bit that I knew was inadequate and certainly in need of some development. <laughs> my hope in this episode is to give you just enough information to help you navigate the in-depth learning that you'll need. I'm going to share with you the stuff that I wish I knew when I became a hygienist and started working in private practice. Now, my good friend Leanne Haney said it best when she described dental insurance compared to medical insurance in a more accurate term. It's a dental benefit rather than insurance. And as I talk about it, you'll understand why. Most dental plans control the cost by limiting the amount of money that each patient can spend on their oral health in a given year, and they limit the amount that can be covered by the insurance provider. And this is how they keep the costs down for not only the dental companies, but for the actual plans themselves. Now, this is a little bit different than medical insurance. Medical insurance control their overhead costs by requiring things like upfront deductibles and co-payments from their patients. Now, unlike dental insurance, medical insurance will cover the full cost of procedures once those things like the deductibles and the co-payments are met. Now, unlike medical insurance, which is evolving, dental insurance puts most of its focus on prevention. These dental plans are put together by making the determination of the procedures to cover that ultimately covers the majority of the needs for the majority of the patients for the majority of the time. That's kind of the gold standard of a dental benefit. What are a majority of the needs for a majority of the patients a majority of the time? Now, this is an important distinction that really shows the primary difference between dental insurance and medical insurance. Now, let's just cover a little insurance lingo for you that will help you understand your patient's needs. Each patient who has dental insurance has a benefit period. Now, a benefit period is usually a 12-month period of time where patients can utilize their planned benefits. Now, some of your patients will have calendar year benefits, meaning that those benefits start on January 1st and they extend 12 months with an expiration date of December 31st. And this is regardless of whenever the patient's effective date is. So if a patient gets a new job with dental insurance and they started the job in February and it has a calendar year benefit period, your patient starts their job and receives benefits starting in February, and those benefits still expire on December 31st. This is just how the calendar benefit period works. The other type of benefit period is called rolling enrollment, 
and this benefit will reset each year on the effective date. So if your same patient takes that job in February and their dental benefits become active, say July 1st, then their benefit would renew each year on July 1st. So they have a 12 month benefit period. That's what a rolling benefit is called. And whenever their effective date is, that's when it expires. Now, just like when you first entered dental hygiene school and you were immersed in a whole new language, dental insurance has some terminology that is used that is helpful for you to know as a provider. So let's go over a few of those terms to really help you navigate. And this is just baseline information to really help you navigate the ins and outs of all that you'll really need to know in the early stages of your profession. Now, a provider network is a panel of dentists that agree to provide treatment for a certain plan. That is the definition of a provider network. So you might hear things like, you're outside my network. That means that you are not part of that panel of dentists that agree to provide the treatment for a certain plan. Limitations are defined as a limit to the number of times that a specific service can be performed in a certain time period. So an example of this would be maybe a fluoride treatment. Maybe your dental plan only allows payment it limits, there's a limitation on the number of times that they will pay for a fluoride treatment in one benefit period. So if you have a patient who comes twice a year and they get a fluoride treatment both times that they come see you, but their benefit only pays, it has a limitation on the number of times they'll pay for that service, then you need to be aware that the patient will be responsible for that second treatment. Annual maximum is defined as the total amount that a plan, a dental benefit, will pay for dental coverage during that 12-month benefit period. Now, a waiting period is a period of time that you must be enrolled in a plan before you are eligible for a benefit. Some people have to enroll into a plan and then they might have a 30, 60, or 90 day waiting period being enrolled in that plan before they can actually access the benefits as part of that plan. Now, a copay is a fixed dollar amount that you pay for a procedure regardless of how much the provider charges. So if a provider charges $300 for something, your insurance dictates the dollar amount that you will be charged for a procedure. Coinsurance is a percentage that you pay for the cost of a procedure. So this is definitely impacted, unlike copay, this is impacted by the cost that the provider charges. So if your procedure is $100 and your dental benefit has a 20% coinsurance, then you would be responsible for $20. So it's important for you to understand the coinsurance and how that works and what that definition is. As a healthcare provider, we look at all of our services as important components of comprehensive care. Dental insurance companies group different services into three main categories, and then they create rules around each of these categories. Now the categories are preventive, basic, and major. 
Now, most of the services that we provide to our patients as dental hygienists fall into the preventive category. And most dental plans articulate that they cover the category of preventive at a very high rate. The preventive services are things like dental cleanings, prophylaxis, right? X-rays, fluoride, sealants, things like that. But remember the word limitations that I defined for you. There are specific limitations for each of those categories. Patients will have defined limits on the number of times in a benefit period that they can have each of those services within that category. They might like having their teeth cleaned. They might want to come see you every eight weeks, every two months, every three months, but they might have a limitation on their plan that says that that dental benefit will only cover that service twice a year or three times a year. So that's where the limitations come into play for the services that you provide. The next category is known as basic. Now basic is a category within the dental benefit plan that includes basic restorative needs for our patients. And this typically includes things like fillings, but in the dental hygiene role, it includes things like scaling and root planing, as well as things like periodontal maintenance. The services in this category also have limitations and usually have a coinsurance percentage cost associated with it. The third category of services is known as major. Now in the major category, dental plans will pay for a percentage of the cost associated with those major services. And these are typically services linked to a lab fee, right? So think about this. So things like implants, crowns, dental surgery, or dentures all fall into major, the major group. I look at them as things that are a major deal, right? So that helps you remember that it goes in the major group. So those are your three classifications or categories of a dental benefit. And every single CDT code, every single one of your services or procedures that you do with a patient falls into one of those three categories. And so their dental benefit has limitations and rules based on whichever category these services fall in. So why are CDT codes important to us as dental hygienists? We're not billing our patients, right? We're not submitting insurance, but we are educating our patients and we are talking to our patients about treatment. And so it's really important that we have a really in-depth understanding of their dental benefits because it really does support the needs of our patients. Having that knowledge gets you thinking about the needs of your patients, as well as some of the challenges that our patients face in an economic sense. We always treat the patient, not the benefit. We treat our patients with consideration of their benefit coverage, but we provide support to our patients to help them navigate their plan. Remember, we want them to access those preventive services that will help keep them healthy and maintain good oral health habits. Using the service codes for every service that we provide helps ensure that our dental charts are accurate, that our electronic medical records actually indicate exactly what we are doing. Service codes provide an opportunity for us to achieve consistent and uniform medical records. 
and documentation of all the services that we provide. The more codes that we submit that are accurate of the true services that we provide our patients, the better it is for us to actually make changes in how the CDT codes are covered. Dentists, as primary providers of care, are an important source to request additions and revisions to the CDT codes. Think about your typical dental hygiene visit and all the services or procedures that you provide your patient. You're taking vital signs, you're doing an intra-extraoral exam, you're doing records and dental charting, you're taking radiographs, you're doing a comprehensive risk assessment, you're doing oral hygiene instruction, you might have a dental exam with the doctor, maybe you're doing a fluoride varnish. I just mentioned seven codes. So how many codes do you think should be in your service lines of treatment rendered in that electronic medical record? Each one of those items in the process of care with your patient has a CDT code attached to it. Those should all be recorded during your hygiene visit. Now, risk assessment codes are considered the standard of care. And some of these services that we provide our patients are really helpful for our patients to develop an understanding of the link between their level of risk and their carry susceptibility or their periodontal susceptibility. And we should definitely document our service codes or procedure codes that we do with our patients, whether or not it gets covered or if it's a covered benefit, doesn't matter. If it's not reimbursed, it's not reimbursed, but your electronic records are still accurate. Now there's a small group of codes that you can kind of chunk together for yourself as you're learning the codes. I would definitely put together a list of common codes for the dental hygienist. And these are all your preventive procedures. You can list all those codes together. You can list the exam procedures, the x-ray procedures, all the treatments that happen in your operatory to really help you as a clinician learn those codes and learn the covered benefits of those codes and learn the common limitations. This is where you're going to look for the support of your front desk office staff to really help you develop a solid understanding. And in some offices, the front desk staff will look all of this information up for you and they're well versed in some of the rules associated with specific plans and they'll help guide you to then help your patient navigate their benefits and make the decisions on procedures that they want to proceed with. You still treat to the needs of the patient and the patient will make the decisions that they need to make that best suits them for them. If your electronic medical records include all of the services you provide, you're more apt to have a very comprehensive and well-documented understanding of the types of treatment that you are putting forth for your patients. Some of those preventive services, the more practices that are offering them, the more likely those will in the future become a covered benefit. Now, when a new CDT code comes out, everybody gets really excited. And you'll often see continuing education courses come out in and around those new codes to really help providers understand how to use it, 
how not to use it to make sure that they're using the code accurately. We always want to make sure that the code is exactly what we're doing for the treatment that we're doing and that we're not misrepresenting the code or misrepresenting the treatment. Getting to know and really understanding dental insurance and provider codes and service codes and covered benefits and limitations and exclusions and all those fun insurance things can be a little bit daunting and overwhelming. It's important and necessary for you, even if it's strictly for accurate charting and documentation purposes, for you to get to know and understand the service codes. You wanna be sure that what treatment you're saying you're providing is the treatment that you are providing. For example, if you take two bite wings on your patient, you wanna be sure that you use the correct dental insurance code that is assigned to two horizontal bite wings. This is really important to ensure that your electronic medical record is accurate. It's a daunting and overwhelming task for a student when you first get out there. And in a future episode, we'll break down some of the main codes that you use. And I promise there's only about 30 or 35 real codes that the dental hygiene student should know. And we'll talk about the nitty gritty of each one of those, how they're used, when they're used, and why they're used. So stay tuned for that. I hope you'll join me for that episode. I'll try to make it fun and exciting, even though it is dental insurance codes. All right. You got this. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.